Welcome to Reprogramming with Lindsay Hyatt. I'm Lindsay, a brand strategist, copywriter, and pivot mentor with nearly two decades of experience. I've seen it all in both the corporate world and in entrepreneurship, and I'm here to spark conversation about the things that matter most. Reprogramming is a podcast to help you shift perspective, consider new viewpoints, and challenge your old belief systems around business, entrepreneurship, health, wellness, parenting, empowerment, and more. If you are ready to reprogram your life for more success, fulfillment, and joy, or if you're ready to blow up the status quo, you are in the right place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Reprogramming. I'm your host, Lindsay Hyatt. Today we're talking about taking a different approach to your messaging and messaging is a key component of your marketing strategy. It's essential for every business, no matter what size or what industry you're in. Copywriters are taught the art of persuasion through writing. The traditional school of advertising teaches to seek out people's pain points and stealthily poke at them until they're ready to buy a product or a service. That method may have worked for 65 years in some form or another, but times have changed. Consumers respond less to scarcity tactics and pressure-filled gimmicks because we as a society have all been through too much. We are overstimulated, overwhelmed, overworked, and most of us want more. We want trust and we want to resonate. Our values mean something to us, and we want to be treated like the smart-feeling adults that we are. Our guest today turned her back completely on the corporate world and began to work in a way that felt more authentic and satisfying, helping clients and their audiences make good, informed choices that leave them feeling hopeful, not taken advantage of. If you are a business owner or marketing director grappling with your messaging and how to get it to resonate more with your audience while giving them the respect they deserve, you'll want to tune in. Ellen Bryant is a copywriter and brand messaging and voice strategist. She helps small businesses stand out from the crowd and connect with their ideal customers through research-backed messaging and trust-forward copywriting. I love that, by the way. With nearly 20 years experience working across design, product strategy, and Marcoms, she decided to build a business that works with her life, not against it. Ellen, I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Hi, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here. I'm just super honored. And I can't wait to hear your take on, I love how you put it, trust forward copywriting. I'm going to ask you all kinds of questions about that um, because I just really feel, and I'm sure you have felt too, a complete shift in our own copywriting industry and how consumers and even businesses receive messages and how um, how people are inspired to make a purchase. Um, so I can't wait to dig in with you. Absolutely. I think it's gotten worse. Um, I think during COVID, we, uh, we're all exhausted from COVID in many ways, but the, uh, the constant marketing online was, was a part of it. Mm, so true. Oh man. Okay. We're going to get into it, but before we do that, tell us a bit <laughs> about yourself, where you're from and how you became a copywriter and messaging strategist. So, um, as you said, I worked in a, I worked in the corporate world for a long time, mostly in tech. Um, I started off in UX and design agencies in London, and then I joined an open source company called Canonical. They're behind um, Ubuntu, which is um, an open source operating system. I was there for nearly a decade, um, and I worked across a lot of departments, as you said. Um, started off in UX and design, and moved through product strategy and marcoms, and, and kind of bounced around. Um, 
one reason I stayed so long was they let me live wherever I wanted um, mm. and involved a lot of travel um, because it was a fully remote company before that was a thing. Wow. Uh, and um, I found that even though I had so many different roles there, they were all really about communication. It was all about understanding not only what people needed, but what they wanted, because there's often a difference and knowing how to communicate to them and to move things forward towards an objective, which is has some obvious correlations to copywriting. Um, but I burnt out of the corporate life in early 2020. 2020. Um, I thought I'd take a break, maybe teach some yoga. At the time, we were living in um, regional Victoria, about an hour outside of Melbourne, on some acreage. We had some alpacas and chickens, and it was a very idyllic life. Um, and there was this thing called COVID on the news. But um, it wasn't like a thing yet. It was more like, oh, look at that. That's weird. <laughs> um, but by the time I'd worked my two-month notice period, of course, we were going into the first of uh, basically a two-year lockdown, um, which is one after another after another, uh, which meant there'd be no teaching yoga. Um, and that my then toddler um, had no daycare. And suddenly my idea of this, like, I'll figure things out while I take a little break was just completely thrown up in the air. And then I had no idea what I was going to do. So I did what I always do when I have no idea what I'm going to do, which is write. Um, and it started off with, um, have you heard of morning pages from the I artist's have. way? Yeah. Yeah. So it started off, I was doing morning pages, which is just basically you just write every day for, you know, three pages. And that turned into a character, which turned into 40,000 words, which turned into a novel. Um, and, uh, I just remembered how much I love writing and I was like, okay, well, let's start from there. How can I make a living from writing? You know, I just have to get Netflix to option my book. Excellent. Um, <laughs> so easy. And then, you know, yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay, <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> so copywriting was the obvious path forward. But as you said, there's some, I have some, oh, there's some ickiness around marketing and copywriting. And I didn't want to go back to that world. And um, I struggled with it. So I tried to have a little freelance writing. And I really was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then a friend reached out who had a friend who was a nature-based life and leadership coach and needed a uh, new messaging and a new website. And I was like, well, that's something I can get behind. I could, I could help her with that. So I helped her with that. And I remembered how much I loved the strategy and how much knowledge I had to share. And also that there's a whole world of people out there doing great things that need help who don't understand um, what people need to make decisions necessarily. They might be experts in their field, but they don't understand you know, the art of persuasion because not mm -hmm. all persuasion is bad. Like I do think it's an important skill that we all need to have to learn, to understand how people make decisions and to make sure that we're giving them the information they need to do it. Yeah, so that was about 15 months ago. And today I'm working with values aligned small businesses on their messaging, voice, and web copy and absolutely loving it. Oh, I love that. I also really love how, you know, posing copywriting or persuasive copywriting as providing the information somebody needs to make a decision. So it's yeah. helping somebody make a decision. And as we know, I mean, as I know, when I have to decide about dinner every night, every decision can feel excruciating, whether it's, oh man, where should we order takeout? Or I have to make a really big decision about where my child is going to attend college. I mean, there's so many levels of it and having information is a gift. It's, it's just leading with that kindness and empathy and respect towards your audience rather than a, how can I get them to make this 
you know, buy my thing. It's how can I help them? You know, how can I make their life easier? Which hopefully is what you're doing anyway with whatever product or service you're selling. Sure, sure. So when you were making that switch from everything that you had been conditioned to do or learned to do in your corporate life to having your own business and working with um, somebody like this client you mentioned that was based in uh, nature coaching, I mean, it's it's like two different worlds. Did you have a hard time transitioning from that very corporate marketing mindset to shifting I think the hardest thing for me, not so much on the, the persuasion side of things, because to me, I, I feel like it's it's not like a clear list of do this, don't do this, because you know nothing in life is. It would be so nice if we could have a nice list of like, here's how to be a good, happy, content person. But you know, unfortunately, it doesn't work and there's a gray area. But for me, that kind of what's right and what's wrong is usually pretty easy to walk. You know, I just think, is this, a, is this, is this a kind thing? Is this helping? Or am I, am I, am I, you know, trying to to dig into something here, like someone's bias or someone's pain? Um, don't do that. That's, that's not nice. Um, the hardest thing I found switching from corporate life to, to being a solopreneur was that I was used to having a team. You know, mm-hmm. I led a communications team. I was, I, I knew all the things that needed to happen. Um, and I had, I had a great breadth of knowledge but I didn't necessarily have a depth of knowledge in each of the bits. So for me, that was the biggest part was um, figuring out first of all, where I wanted to focus. Cause I, I couldn't just do like, I didn't want to do everything. Uh, and also working on that, that, that gaining that depth rather than um, having, having the breadth. But also I think that big picture strategy is one of my strengths as well from the corporate world. Cause I'm used to looking at that big picture. Yeah, that's so important. Before we get more into, well, I want to hear all about your travels because you've been all over the place, but I want to actually ask you about your your novel. That is incredible. Um, I think when people think I'm going to set out to be a writer and I'm going to make this, a yeah. career, most people assume like, oh God, I have to be an author and I have to be a New York Times bestselling author. And how am I going to do this? And how do I get a publisher? But how did you, is this something you fell into or was it something you always wanted to do? So I've always written uh, as in, it's how I, it's kind of how I think it's how I solve problems. Like I, I, I am much better writing things out and I find the patterns and, and make it makes sense. Um, and I write how I think, uh, which my mind tends to jump from subject to subject. It drives my husband crazy. He's like, wait, we were just talking about this. And I was like, sorry, there were like 18 connections before the sentence that came out of my mouth, but I didn't want to, you know, run you through them. But when I write, I, I jump, um, because I think, oh, that will go down there and that will go up here. And, and it all fills in um, by the end. But when I, but during while speaking, it's much harder. I have to think about connecting this in a way that people understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think a, a lot of writers think like that. I do the yeah. same. I'm like, what? I'm on some tangent. Like, what, people are not going to follow this. <laughs> I'm back. Whereas when you're writing, you can be like, oh, that's a thing. I'll put that over there. And then we'll connect the dots for people. Um so I think if I had sat down and said, I'm going to write a novel, I never would have done it because that's an overwhelming thing to sit down and say. But because I was like, I'm just going to get up and write every day and I had no pressure. And then it was like, I'm just going to explore this character, just going to see what she would do. And then it turned into this whole crazy story, which was nothing where I started from. Um, and then I've done, I'm on the fifth or sixth draft of that novel. I wrote a second novel after that. 
Um, and once you've written the first, I found once I wrote the first one, I was like, well, I did it. I wrote the first draft is 120,000 words. It was, <laughs> I've it, cut it down. I think it's about 80,000 now. <laughs> um, but um, there was a lot of just going to coffee shops and like just <laughs> hanging out in that first draft that got cut. Um, but then the second one, I didn't approach, I, I was like, well, I've done it. I know I can write, you know, 80,000 words. Um, so that was gone. Um, and with the second one, I played around with structure and how I approached it. Have you heard the um, pantsers or planners? No. Listen, no. <laughs> Fiction writers, there's often, there's two groups that people fall into. Um, the pantsers, which I am firmly a uh, member of, just make it up. <laughs> we just sit down and go. And planners plan, right? They have an outline and they know exactly what they're going to write. Um, I tried that on my second novel and it was horrible. Oh. Uh, I found I lost my entire, like my connection to any creativity okay. and, it, and it lost, like the whole thing had to be rewritten. There was just no spark. It was like, I was following the outline, but I lost any like creative spark. Um, and my voice, it all just kind of fell apart. Um, so yeah, that getting rid of that fear of writing it helped me explore a bit more. Yeah, that's fascinating to also learn kind of about your writing style and your creative flow in this kind of process, which can feel so overwhelming. And I'm wondering if that also factors into the work you do with your clients. So there's definitely, I do more planning with clients. Yeah. <laughs> it's You're like, I'm just going to wing it. Trust me. This is how I go. Just gonna make it up. We don't need to talk to your customers. We don't need, to. You're we don't need any research. I'll just make it up. Um, I think with copywriting, it's it's very different because you have a clear objective, right? You, you know what you're trying to do and you need to figure out how to get there. So it's it it requires planning. Yeah. Whereas with a, a novel, you're you have no idea where it's going. I mean, I started off thinking I was writing a novel about a 30-something-year-old woman from Boston who was politically different from her parents and, and anyway. It didn't go. It, it ended up being a story about like time travel and oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. It went there. It went there. Maybe different. Um, which obviously that approach is not really what you're going for when you're trying to help your clients connect right. with customers. <laughs> um, you, were you able to publish? No, I haven't even attempted yet. I don't think it's near. It's not good enough. So I'm working on. I'm on the fifth or sixth draft of the first, the first one, and the second draft of the second one um so yeah hopefully one day and I've got some ideas for a third but yeah I don't feel anything is good enough yet we'll see okay well we'll be waiting because you had me on time travel and I'm not a fiction person this is why I'm I'm really fascinated to to pick the brain of of brilliant fiction writers because I have struggled I used to just just take fiction and eat it for breakfast as a, as a child and a young adult, I would just go through a book in like a day. Like it was crazy. And as an adult, I am just unable to get that kind of momentum. And I'm also very judgmental (laughs) about, about, you know, how things are written and, and whatnot, but I don't want that for myself. I want to be able to enjoy these stories. And I have found funny enough. Also, my husband thinks this is hilarious because I've always been like anti-sci-fi, anti-fantasy. And now I'm like, I want to read a book about the time traveling. And I want it like, I'm like, I like Outland. Yeah. I like Outlander. And I like, you know, all, I love Game of Thrones. Like, yeah, I'm open. Let's do this. And he thinks it's really funny. So have you read, um, 
I was just thinking what might work for you. And then like easing back in, have yeah. you had any Emily St. Mandel? I don't think so. I've my goal, my new year's resolution for this year, I had only one and it was to read a book a month. Now I have not kept up with that, but I am determined that I'm going to fit in as many as I can before the end of the year. I'm currently reading, um, court of thorns and roses or something, whatever it's called. Do you know that one? It's, it's every, it's a, I don't know. It's, it's a fantasy type thing. And I'm only on book one and I'm like, okay, when do we, when do we get to the good parts? Okay. Back on track, back on track. Sorry. So you have lived all over the world. Can you just tell us a little bit about where you started and your travels and how you ended up where you are now? So I'm from Connecticut. Um, and, uh, I did not travel at all as a child. Our, our childhood holidays, and you can appreciate this, were to upstate New York. Um, all of my friends went to Disney world, Disney world in Florida. And we went to outside Utica. Um, oh, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know that we stayed in this motel with a nice pool and it was fine. Oh. But um, yeah, it was Disney World. So I'd never been on a plane until I was 18. I didn't have a passport till I was 25. Um, so the travel started late, but I made up for it. Uh, when I graduated high school, I just got in my car and drove west. Um, I knew that there must be so much more out there and I wanted to explore it. So I spent a couple of years kind of bouncing around America doing big road trips um, spent some time in Breckenridge, Colorado and Tempe, Arizona, before eventually settling in Santa Cruz, California, where, which was the first place in my life where I felt like I found my people. Mm. Um, and I was there, studied photography and bartended for a couple of years, um, and then, um, transferred up to Berkeley where I studied, um, American studies, uh, which is kind of just a continuation of what I've been doing for the previous two years in a way. Um, but I focus on popular culture um, and cultural geography. So that was kind of also where I started learning about the ill effects of advertising. Mm. Um, and after graduation, I ended up moving to London, where I spent nearly a decade. Um, and then there was a brief couple of years in California, uh, in San Francisco. And then we, when my husband and I decided to start a family um, we decided to move to Australia where he's from. So we moved to Australia just, well, I was eight months, I was eight months pregnant, which is not wow. an ideal time to move to the country. Uh, I don't recommend that to anyone. Uh, so we moved to Melbourne and then we were there for a little bit and I bought a house an hour outside in the country with the alpacas and chickens. And that was lovely until COVID. Uh, then COVID made us reevaluate everything as we couldn't go more than five kilometers from our house. And we were six kilometers from the nearest town. Um, and we just, we realized we missed the ocean and we wanted to be closer to town. And uh, we ended up moving to Tasmania, which is a real place. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> Australians have never heard of it. And they're just like, like the Tasmanian devil. I'm yes, like, exactly. <laughs> like the Tasmanian devil. Um, but we live now just outside Hobart. Uh, my house is a four minute walk from a beautiful sandy beach. If it wasn't pitch dark outside, I would be looking over at the ocean. Um and it's just a stunningly, it's a magical place. Mm. Um, it is unfortunately at the <laughs> furthest corner of the world. So I have calls at 4.30 in the morning and my parents are like a 27 hour flight away, but um, but it's magic here. Mm. I didn't get my first passport till I was 25, but I now have three. Um, and yeah, have have been to much, much seen, seen a lot of the world. Mm, that sounds, does sound magical. 
I have not been to Tasmania, but I have been to Australia and I found it to be uh, like a, a magical world, truly. Like I, I studied abroad and um, uh-huh. I was on the Sunshine Coast near, close to Brisbane. And wow, just like, I mean, you think, oh, Florida's nice, but then you go to Australia and you're like, oh, this is what it's, this is what magic looks like. It's like so cool. I hope to go back someday. But do you get to see your family much? It's such a, such a trip. Um, It is. Um, And then COVID obviously yeah. was, you know, a couple years, we, the borders were closed. So right. we weren't allowed, no one was allowed in or out. Um, So we do, they've been over a few times. We are, they're coming over in January. They haven't been to Tassie yet. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to show them around. Um, I made the trip on my own with my six-year-old in September. He was five then. Yeah, he would have been five. I don't recommend that because there's no passing off because you get grumpy on a 27-hour flight with, you know, it's like, you know, and then when your child gets grumpy and you're grumpy and there's no other adults to be like, I need a break. Yeah. It's really hard. But we make it, we video call nearly every day. They call um, breakfast time is dinner time there, so Usually he'll have a video call with his grandparents over breakfast. Oh, good. That's good. Okay. So yeah. back, back to the copywriting, I had to get into all that magical stuff, but like we've been talking about copywriting was essentially created as a means of persuasion in the advertising world to communicate the benefits of a product or service and how consumers could alleviate their pain points by purchasing. So you have shared that these tactics never really resonated with you, especially in your business. And I would just love to hear more about your approach and perspective. Absolutely. So I studied advertising in college, but not from like a how-to marketing perspective, from a historical impact on society kind of look. Um, And it's not a nice story. You know, advertising was created, um, well, it's used and it still is to make people feel less than and it creates problems. For example, deodorant was invented in the late 1800s, um, but no one had any need for it, right? Mm-hmm. The advertisers had to make people feel bad about the way they smelled so mm-hmm. that they could create a market. Um, razor manufacturers in the 1920s, uh, you know, they were like, well, we've cornered half the market. How do we get women to buy razors? You know, and they started to make women feel bad about the hair on their legs and under their arms. This was never a problem before, but now, We should be very embarrassed about it. We needed to buy their razors. And that's, that obviously does not resonate with me. Um, I think society, we have so many actual problems. (laughs) We have enough to worry about without creative problems being thrown at us. And that it's still a huge problem. I mean, you you just look at the, most of the beauty industry today. um, There's so many aspects of marketing that are still doing that. And I, I think that is evil, personally. As I was saying before, not you know, life's not black and white. And this is something I've gotten better at as I've gotten older. I think I used to be much more, you know, good and bad. Yeah. Um, but not all products and services are evil. There are lots of good people trying to do good things in the world, and their products need to connect with the people that they can help. Um, and that I want to help with. And also persuasion in itself is not a bad thing. There are a lot of aspects of it that I think are useful for understanding, for helping people make decisions. So for a lot of small business owners that they might say, well, it's conversion. You know, I need need people to buy my product. Um, For me, I think taking a step back and looking at the big picture, and I think for many people it's actually trust. 
is, mm. is, is really the big priority. And that's a subset really of conversion. I'm not saying forget about conversion, throw it all out the window. I'm just saying lead with trust. And what that means is treating your audience with kindness and empathy and respect and giving them what they need to make a decision. So you still need to understand how they make a decision and you still need to understand what they're going to need and you're going to give them that. But when you're creating your copy, you know, think about, is this building trust with my audience? And if it's like, no, you know, say you're, you're niggling at that pain point or you're creating false urgency or something, you know, maybe, maybe don't do that. Um, and I think in the long run, that helps you build a sustainable business because those, those high, those strong arm tactics, they, they do work. They hijack critical thinking. And when you hijack critical thinking, you know, we've all been there. We've all made a purchase because of these strong arm tactics and you don't feel great after you do it. You're like, Oh, Oh, did I really really just buy that? You feel kind of slimy and gross. And that's not how you want your customers to feel. You know, you want your customers coming in feeling like confident that they've made a good choice. Um, And you want them to become cheerleaders for you because that's better for your business Mm -hmm. than like selling in this slimy way to people that makes them feel like, Ooh, what did I just do? And then you have an uphill battle to prove that your service is good from there. Whereas if they come in thinking this person seems really honest and they really know what they're doing and then you've got to, you've, you've got to mess it up, you know, and then you want to start from that high point. Um, I can certainly think of, you know, we've all taken a million copywriting courses and a lot of them use those strong arm tactics. Um, and the ones that I've signed up for that use the strong arm tactics, I've never, I've always signed up for them because I've had direct feedback from someone who's been through the course and they've been like, it's really good. And I'm like, all right, but I'm always going in a bit like, oh, oh, they're like they've got to prove something. They've got to prove they're good to me now. I don't know. Whereas the courses I've signed up for where they're really like, there's no urgency, you know, they're like, I'm going to give you time to make this decision. And you, this course might not be right for you. Like if you want to jump on a call, I'll, I'll, let's talk through it. And where they're really, when they lead with that, I'm going in like, I am in there. I, I'm on their team. I want them to win, you know, and that's what we want our clients to feel like. Yeah. It's empowering. It's empowering. I mean, even being on the, on the, on the copywriting and marketing side of things, it makes me feel excited and Hmm. that I am empowering somebody to decide if something is a good fit for them or not. And I'm like, you know, working with a client or with my own brand where I'm like, I'm truly like excited about this thing that I'm putting out there for whomever feels like good about it. And that's like the best feeling. Absolutely. Like I think most of us, and and I don't think there are many people out there who are, you know, actively like, let's manipulate. <laughs> I, I don't think you know, I think most people are out there trying to build a business. Yeah. And they're doing what they learned. Totally. Um and all I'm saying is maybe just question what you've learned and maybe have a slightly different frame on it. Um, but it's all a learning journey, you know. As I said, also, there's not like a list of do's and don'ts. It's yeah. it's really just a perspective and trying to treat your audience kindly and with respect. That's so true. So true. So on the topic of building trust with your audience, I think everybody wants that. Like you said, I don't think there's many people out there that are like, I'm going to get you. They People want to build trust with most people want to build trust with their audience. What are your, some, some of your favorite ways to do this while still sharing, you know, the benefits of your offer, your product or your service? So there's so many. I'm just going to top up my coffee. Oh my God, please do. Um, We did not mention that Ellen is kind enough to join us at 4.30 in the morning. So you, you drink up, you drink up my friend. 
So yeah, I apologize about any uh, <laughs> <of> vocabulary or. <laughs> um, so there's loads of ways, I think. And as I said, a lot of persuasion methods still, it's how we make decisions, right? You can't just forget it. Um, for example, everything around authority and expertise, like we're all taught, you know, you need to show your authority and it's a trigger and it will, it's a bias. And, but also it's an important way that people make decisions, right? Like if we're looking at buying a service, we want to know that the person we're buying from has expertise and authority in that, in that area. So sharing testimonials and social proof and, and our knowledge, you know, in whatever blogs or videos or however we want to share it, all of that you know, is both good for persuasion, but also good for our audience. You know, no one's going to buy from, if we don't tell people that we know what we're talking about, right. <laughs> why should someone buy from us? So yeah. I think that's obvious, all good. Um, be honest though. Um, share who isn't right for your offer. Like I was just saying, I think those cl- those courses where they, you know, they help you understand if it's right for them. Honestly, they're not just trying to sign everyone up that's going to build so much trust with your audience, just being honest. And I think part of that, and I know this is controversial, share your prices. Mm. Um, and I know, again, it's not black and white. And there probably are some people out there going, no, I can't share my prices. And they have excellent reasons. But I think for like 99% of people, at least sharing like a ballpark figure, like yeah. on my website, like a minimum, like this is where it starts. Sure. Um, and it's just, it's helping, it's giving people what they need to make a decision. And price is a huge part of, of making a decision. Uh, and it also helps to filter your audience. I mean, honestly, it's it's helpful for, for you as well, not just right. <laughs> your audience, because it filters out those people who, who can't afford you. That is, I think that's one of the first things people are looking for, because they can be following yeah. along with you. They can be, you know, really into the information you have or the offer or the product that you have. But if they can't afford it, they can't afford it. Or if it's not at their budget now, this might be something that they, you know, this is really great for my business. I really want to have this by the end of the year. I just, I I can see both arguments for it where people say, well, I don't want to scare someone away before they meet me. And they understand, like, I see that. But I think, like you said, 90 to 95% of people, that's one of the top, we'll say three, but probably top two (laughs) decision-making factors with whether or not they're going to make that buy. So I think you're right. Put it out there. And, you know, some people are going to um, be filtered out naturally, which saves everybody time. And I just think about how I make decisions. Like I know before I make a big, a significant purchase, like I'm definitely going on there looking at it. And I'm also not just going to buy it immediately. Right. I'm looking at it like, okay, that's a piece of data. I'm going to continue thinking about this, you know, but that piece of data is important. If it's not there, sometimes I just am like, oh, well, I guess I can't afford it. I I do the same. If it's if I can't find the information I need, I'm like, well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time digging for yeah. it. I think we got to make it easy on our clients too to get that information. Um, and even to make the purchase, they always say make it easy for your client to buy when they're ready. And sometimes I still see businesses that don't have that. Like, like, okay, where is the link? I'm looking and looking and I'm not seeing it. Yes. <laughs> don't, yes. Don't make your readers work. Yes. Totally agree. Okay. So some, you know, there are still people, I think maybe, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to generalize from a different generation or there's even programs that we all know and love that are really based in that more traditional, um, art of copywriting, um, you know, that is very persuasion based and maybe uses some scarcity tactics or um, 
it's, it's almost more on the scientific formulaic end of things and less about the conversation and the trust and the intuition kind of part of it. Um, and so some may argue that it, it, it maybe it's harder to make sales or grow your audience or your business if you're not using those traditional aspects of copywriting. Mm. What's your perspective on this? Um, and so, is there is there a good way for writers to learn to adopt a more authentic strategy? The, the, the strong arm tactics and the manipulating people, they might work in the short term for a short term profit, but they are, as we talked about, they, can't, they make you feel slimy. Mm. You know, it's gross. You're not going to be building trust with your audience. And if you want to grow a sustainable business, you want an audience that loves you, that trusts you, that they're cheerleaders for you. You know, they believe in you. They tell all their friends about you. That's that's what how you build a sustainable business, not by strong arming people into buying something. You know, I think it's a very short term, it's short-term thinking. Um, and if that's what you got, you know, you just want to make a short-term profit, then I mean, yeah, go for go for the manipulation. But if you're trying to build a sustainable business, it's going to be around for a while. You need a client base and an audience that trusts you. Um, and you're not going to get that by manipulation. Yeah. Um, so the second part of your question, um, how they can learn to adopt a more authentic messaging strategy. I think it's really pretty straightforward, you know, just lead with trust and empathy. And when you're doing something, think about how that's going to make the audience feel. So if you're, um, you know, adding in false urgency, you know, why are you doing that? You know, because you've read that it will help sell more courses. But in reality, how is that making your audience feel? You know, you must buy this by the end of today or it will be gone forever. Or I'm going to give you three. I've got this open for three weeks. So you have time to make an informed decision. If you have any questions, you can reach out. I will jump on a call with you. You know, just think about how you would feel with these two different approaches. And that second approach is calming and reassuring and building trust that you don't have to force people or create, you know, this false urgency around you to sell your product. You feel confident in it. Um, and that's going to lead to to more business in the long run. You mm -hmm. know, it might be a bit slower, might not be that that steep trajectory, but it will be longer. Yeah, I would love just just for fun to to pick at two uh, very popular tactics that we see all the time, uh -huh. especially in in uh, launches and in course creators uh, marketing, which is the countdown clock and the ever <laughs> ever evolving price point. You know, you have two days to get it at $333, but next week it's going to be 555 and who knows where it's going to go from there. What do you think about those things? Oh, okay. <laughs> Opening. Let's do what it is <laughs> <laughs> Countdown clock. I, I, I 80% feel like there's just, it's, there's no point in it, but here I'm an edge case in this one. I have found it useful once. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. Because I live on the far edge of the world, I'm generally on a different day than everyone else. Uh, and so when people say things like, you know, by midnight at, on Friday, I'm like, who's Friday? Who's midnight? I, what does that even mean? Whereas the countdown clock, I'm like, okay, I have 30 hours. Um, this case. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. I never thought of it as an actual useful tool. I don't think, I do not think that was the intention of it, but I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm finding it helpful. So anyway, that was, 
unexpectedly treating me with kindness. Wow. <laughs> I appreciated it. So I think the intent, you know, you have to think about the intent and the intent behind most clocks is to create that false sense of urgency and make you feel like, oh my God, time is slipping away. I must buy this now. And that's not very nice. And and again, I I think you're, you're, you're hacking into that bias and trying to shortcut people's critical thinking, which is never a nice thing. I mean, if you're, what you're selling is quality, why are you trying to shortcut people's critical thinking? You know, don't you want them to think about buying your course mm-hmm. um, rather than just, oh, I accidentally bought that. What? Where did that money go? Um, the increasing price points. I mean. Hey, I've done it. I've done it before. I got sucked like in. I got sucked into that world. Early bird offers and stuff. I kind of. You know, it's it's hard. Again, it's like there's no yes or no's or gray area. There's a lot of gray area and and we're all trying to build businesses. Mm. Um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with having like an early bird offer. Um, But I'd love to have a conversation with somebody who has strong feelings on it. You know, like, again, I think so much of this is just like a learning journey. Um, And right now, a lot of this, for me, I'm just going off of how does that make me feel? Are we manipulating people? Um, it is creating that false sense of urgency. I'm just going to think through this as I, <laughs> um, which I disagree with. Um, yeah, but it doesn't scream no as terribly to me as that like countdown clock and having, and I think it also depends how big your offers that the, is, you know, how much time you give people to make that decision to me is the big one. I'm somebody who straddled both sides of it where I have been, I, you know, I do this with a lot of things in my life. I find it both fascinating and these are things I've also tried in my own business. Um, But then I get very like mad about it. Like, why are we doing this? This is so stupid. And and like, and the whole like magic number thing, like, you know, $222 and now it's $444. And I'm thinking more and so in like the coaching space where I have a lot of eye rolling to do. Um, I just like, to me, I see it as, these people want to make money and they want to make it quick. So if they're not going to get you at $222, they're going to keep trying to get you at $777. And I, I just get like really icked about it. <laughs> so yeah. I, I love to ask, uh, you know, what others perspectives are because I can get into my little bubble of like, what the hell are we doing? You know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think you're right as well. It's what you're surrounded by as well. Yeah. Um, like, I'm mostly seeing like it's like copywriting courses being pushed at me because of my audience, you know. Right, right. Um, whereas, yeah, yeah, and we won't even go into um, the offers that go out there without a price point, and you just have to, or without. I'm sorry, they have a price point but no information, and you just have to buy the course before they tell you anything about it. <laughs> That's a different podcast. I oh guess. my god. <laughs> That's just like the stuff I see in the online business space and especially in coaching. I'm just like, oh my God, I just, I want to blow it all up. So sorry. Thanks for what they need to make an informed decision. Yes. I'm right. That's the heart of what we're talking about. Okay. Moving on. Were there any personal habits or belief systems outside factors even that you had to confront or reprogram on this journey into a more um, trust forward copywriting practice? I think for me, it was that just realizing that everything's not black and white and that, you know, I had such a, from, from my university studies, uh, you know, this, this real strong 
hatred towards advertising and marketing and, and then found myself working in it. <laughs> I think that I have had to grapple with, you know, it is not all evil. As I said, there are, there are good people doing good things and there are ways to sell products that are not evil. Um, so for me, it was just that learning to see things on a spectrum um, and trying to make the best choices I can and not just being like, this is a bad thing and I will not look at it. Um, which is, I think, how I was when I was much younger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was good and there was bad. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's life's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need that reminder a lot because I still get in the black and white zone. But it's yeah. funny that you mentioned the word spectrum. This is like the third or fourth conversation I've had recently and a few on this podcast talking about the spectrum of so many things, the spectrum of gender expression, things I never would have considered, the spectrum of um, our language and how we use it, or even just the spectrum of being a human and like <laughs> all the different yeah. uh, ways it can be. So, you know, writing and copywriting and persuasion also operate on a spectrum. Definitely. Um, well, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing that we're all speaking about spectrum so much more because it's a more realistic way. It's a more authentic way of looking at life, you know, oh. like it's not yes, no, black, white, male, female, like there, there has always been a spectrum. Um, it's just, I think we all, I think as humans kind of want a simple answer, you know, like how do we, how do we win at life? How do, how do we be happy, content people? I mean, we just, we're always looking for an answer. I mean, that's, that's a, a lot of mark there. Um, and I think the fact that we're all talking about spectrums, it's like we are growing in that as, as society, as, as humans in realizing that acknowledging that there is no easy answer, you know, and that it's not black and white and that there's this whole spectrum of life to explore and that that's okay. You know, like it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a beautiful thing. And it just makes, it makes me feel so excited and open to like, what is possible? What is, yeah. you know, available in, in all of the facets of life. I think our brains are wired to want to put everything in a little compartment and <laughs> that like Absolutely. makes us feel yeah. more con- comfortable. And like you said, like we haven't, okay, this has an answer. I know what to do with this. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And exploring that spectrum more and, and all of the different ways we live. So important. It's a, it's a cognitive bias, um, towards certainty. Mm. We, um, have Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and fast and slow. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's yeah. And he goes into that about the certainty. I wish I'd read that book before we sold our house. Um, we, we took the lower, more certain offer rather than the higher, almost certain offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the book a few weeks later and was like, oh, we did the thing. We did the bias. <laughs> we, did. We, we are literally wired for certainty. Yeah. We want certainty above everything else. Mm, so true. I hope that we can all challenge ourselves to get more comfortable being uncomfortable because there's just so much magic and so much to learn in those spaces. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to check. I haven't read that book, but I, I know what, what you mean. I I've heard of it. Um, so I'm going to check that out. Okay. Ellen, if you're going to leave the audience with one perspective to consider in their own lives, what would it be? Uh, less slime, more trust. Um, <laughs> so, 
I think it's just, you know, copywriting and persuasion are not inherently evil, but creating problems for people to worry about is, is not nice. Um, and, you know, poking a stick at people's problems, you know, not, not kind. Um, and hijacking cognitive biases so that people don't think, not, not good. Um, by leading with trust, you're not foregoing conversion, um, but you're starting from a place of empathy and kindness towards your audience, um, which is the foundation to building a sustainable business, which is what we really want to do. This is, I should have brought this up earlier and we, it's a, it's another yeah. wormhole and I'm sorry. Cause I feel like I'm all over the place, but I just have, I feel like I could talk to you all day about this. Um, you talk about bringing up problems that maybe aren't really there. I, and I don't know if you see this out in the world, maybe it's just because I'm a woman and I'm sensitive to these things, but I feel like so many things are pushed on us that may or may not be an actual issue for us. For some people, maybe, but in the online space, if you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram, you're seeing people push things on you, everything from you need collagen. It, it got me thinking about, and you're talking about razors and, um, and deodorant, you know, you need collagen, yeah. Uh, you need to get oh these IV, you need to get IVs every week and, you know, to stay hydrated, you need these products or even what has really been bothering me the last couple of weeks, especially is like you have ADHD. You, it's like a, it's like a trend to have ADHD or, uh, adrenal fatigue or, uh, what's the other, what's the other one that they're pushing on women? I feel like, um, but, but you mentioning that advertising is creating problems for people. It really, it yeah. struck me for these things that I'm just seeing everywhere. Oh, absolutely. None of that stopped. It's, it's, yeah, the entire anti-aging, you know, movement is, it's all, that's all creating a problem, you know, um, all of our hair, hair dye and the makeup. I mean, it's all a made up problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, the pharmaceutical industry is, <laughs> We don't, I don't think we have time to go there. We don't, I know. I, should, I knew I should have brought up, but it's just like, oh, it just like, it's so, it's so interesting to me. And then the way that we sop it up, like, I'm not saying there's any, yeah. there's nothing wrong with, oh yeah, get some collagen or, oh yeah, like put some lipstick on, like if that makes you feel good or whatever. But it's really the medical stuff that's really been bothering me because I've been seeing yeah. it affect people that I know where they're like, oh yeah, like I clearly have ADHD. I've never been diagnosed, but like, I don't think you do. I think that this, these TikTok videos are telling you that you do have it and you should drink this smoothie to help you. Like, I just, <laughs> and I've just been seeing it left and right where it's making me feel like I'm a crazy person. And yeah. So it, man, I would love to take those courses you took about advertising and learn more about, I didn't know it. The thing about the razors, I, I had no idea. I oh yeah. All of, all of this stuff is just made. It's all so, so much of it's made up. And, and the thing is the conversion and this persuasion and what they're doing, it works. That's why we're like, oh, we should yes. go buy the anti-aging creams and we should color our hair and we should do all these things. And while we look at, um, who was it? Pamela Anderson last week oh. who went to something without makeup and it was like massive new. oh my nice. god she makeup can you I mean just you know what all men do every day when they step outside the house I but I know <laughs> this is the world we live in and and females are the main consumers of the household so it's always been targeted at us since the invention of advertising oh yeah be like the Pamela Anderson <sighs> in your advertising, you know, I just, <laughs> I watched, I watched, I got really into Pamela Anderson 
uh, last year I watched the Pam and Tommy show on Hulu and then I saw her documentary and I didn't know much about her and I just found her to be so yeah. fascinating and cool. And I, so I do appreciate Pam, Pamela Anderson out there, <laughs> you know, helping us all say, wait a minute, we don't have to do this anymore if we don't want to, yeah. we can do it our way. So absolutely great example. Okay. Ellen, share what's up next for you. What are you working on and how can people connect with you? Um, so you can sign up for my newsletter if you want to hear more about um, trust forward copywriting, uh, which you can sign up for that on my website at ellenbryantwrites.com. I'm on Instagram at ellenbryantwrites and LinkedIn as Ellen Bryant. Awesome. Well, we will link all of that in the show notes. Ellen, thank you for being here with us so early and for having this winding conversation about, about trust forward copywriting and why it's so important in our businesses. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for putting up with my, uh, my incoherent thoughts and, uh, <laughs> <Hey>. conversation. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with mine. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Reprogramming. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love if you shared this episode with your network and tagged me at ReprogrammingPod or at the Lindsay Hyatt on Instagram. If any episode has impacted you, it would mean the world if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform. For more information on how to work together or to learn more about my signature program, Superfecta, visit lindsayhyatt.com or lindsayhyatt.co. See you next time.